You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're talking about the brain, about neuroscience. If anybody listens to the podcast before, they know this is a pet subject for me. I love it. We want to get into the reasons for why we make certain decisions, how we can reduce buyer's anxiety, influence their buying decision, and we're going to go really deep and figure out if we actually have free will. (laughs) So for those of you who haven't seen it, I highly recommend checking out Dr. Wu's TED Talk on the new science of consumer decisions. It's a great watch to help us. Dr. Terry Wu, who received his master's degree in neuroscience from Duke University and his PhD in neuroscience at Vanderbilt, focused on research into learning and memory. Terry, thank you so much for taking time and welcome to the show. It's my pleasure, Chad. Thank you for inviting me. So we always like to ask a question at the beginning just to get a sense for you as an individual. And we like to ask something kind of off the wall, which is those that know you largely through your professional life, what is something you're passionate about they might be surprised to learn about you? Chad, I have to say I love running. The interesting thing is I actually hated running all my life until about 12 years ago when I caught the running bug. <laughs> I just could not shake it off. And I, I, right now I run about six to eight miles a day and uh, I have done 12 marathons. And I just like running is just the best thing ever happened to me over the last 12 years. Wow. And it keeps me stay, uh, stable and keep me calm and get, it gives me clarity. I love it. Ah, excellent. All right. Perfect. So let's jump into the topic for today and let's start with the difference between selling someone something and helping them buy something. So to help the audience understand kind of the underlying neuroscience, if you could go into that for us, I'd appreciate it. It's a, I want to give you an example of helping someone buy something first. Think of Amazon. Amazon does not have a single salesperson, but Amazon is the biggest seller in the whole world. But how does Amazon sell? Amazon has developed this model helping buyers to buy. And Amazon doesn't really sell you anything. Amazon let people make their own decisions and on their own. So as a buyer, you can do your own research and you can find your products. You can compare prices and features. And even you, even you can choose shipping options. So buyers are totally on their own. Amazon is just there to help you buy. Amazon doesn't really make any sales pitch, doesn't give you any high pressure to, to, uh, to sell you anything. So Amazon has created, created this beautiful model to help you buy, and it's very successful. And here's a very interesting example of help selling someone something. So this is actually kind of very current. Right now, vaccine is a big topic for the COVID. For the last half a year, or more than half a year, the government has been selling the idea that everybody should get vaccinated. I have been vaccinated. My family has been vaccinated. And, but if you look at the whole process for the government to encourage people to get vaccinated, almost like a, it looked like a salesperson going through the classic sales training or a sales book, <laughs> play by play. First, the salesperson presents the so-called value proposition, you need to get this done so you can stay safe. And then it presents facts, features, and data to persuade so-called buyers to buy into this idea to get vaccinated. And then it works really hard to handle objections because there are a lot of people that are resistant to the idea. 
and then government gives people start giving people incentives to motivate more people to get vaccinated it gives gift cards and give lotteries and then when people are still not convinced guess what the salesman does is use some high pressure tactics <laughs> is you know some of the tax like a shaming and blaming shaming the vaccine people who don't really want to get vaccinated shame them then let's blame them you're you guys are causing this problem this problem and then when everything fails guess what this the, the salesman resorts to the last thing which is mandate you have to do this otherwise you're going to pay a penalty so this actually kind of is really focused on how to sell how to sell but there's a big difference between helping someone buy something and selling someone something the difference is who's in control when amazon helps you buy everything you're in total control you control when you buy what you buy and which option you want to choose and which shipping option you want to choose but when you sell something people don't really have a lot of choice they don't have a lot of control there's this old statement or cliche that people don't like to be sold but they love to buy and this is really about who's in control really and if you put people put the buyers in control they love to buy but if you really force people to buy something they're very reluctant and so when we think about this when we when we get into this there's this concept of buyer's decision anxiety and and it gets in the way right and it partially probably has something to do with control as well but when we think about kind of stepping back and saying all right what's in play here when we talk about buyer's decision anxiety what's what's in play in the brain and and how should sellers approach this or what should they be aware of it's it's a great question, uh, Chad. Is here's the thing: is when people were we have as humans, we have this innate desire to be in control. When we lose a sense of control, we have this anxiety. And then when people are deciding whether to buy or not, if they feel like they're being sold to and they don't have any control, they have this developed decision anxiety. So, Chad, you must have heard this million times in the past, in the, especially in the B two B world. This old statement saying no one gets fired for buying IBM. Yeah, I actually, yeah. yes, I actually referenced that in class. Yep. Yeah. So this statement, you can look from the buyer's perspective, and looking for you can look at it from the seller's perspective. From the seller's perspective, if I'm a seller, I want to become the IBM because if you buy from me, this is a very safe choice because. You know, I'm going to leverage the crowd influence. Everybody buys from IBM, so so should you. So it gives people a sense of a safety. But from the buyer's perspective, this exactly talks about the decision anxiety. And if I make the wrong decision, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> so there's that hidden decision anxiety. People don't really think too much because really, but but the decision anxiety is really is real. It just has a lot to do with control. I want to give you a kind of interesting um, experiment. This is a class experiment to demonstrate why not having control causes stress and anxiety. So let's imagine this scenario. You put a volunteer in the room, then you blast a loud, obnoxious noise randomly. When then you measure this volunteer's blood pressure, the volunteer's blood pressure will go through the roof because he's under a lot of stress. Then imagine this second scenario. You put a volunteer in the room, and then you give this volunteer a button to press. You tell him, when you press this button, you can reduce the, lively, the likelihood of hearing that noise. He keeps pressing the button in the room while you blast the same loud, obnoxious, obnoxious noise randomly. But this time, his blood pressure stays low. It's simply because that button gives him a sense of control. 
So this demonstrates that when we're having control, our anxiety level becomes lower. We feel more comfortable. It's easier for us to, for us to make decisions. And then here's another thing, actually, Chad, this is something a lot of the salespeople kind of, they, they have this, this blind side, sight or blind spot. They think when I'm selling you this product or service, I know this product is safe. I know the service is safe. It, you have no problem buying it. But from the buyer's perspective, they're taking a risk buying this. And into our unconscious brains, a small risk and a big risk, they're not that much different. And here's a very, very interesting study, Chad. In this study, the researchers asked one group of volunteers one question. And the question is, how much are you willing to pay to avoid a 1% chance of getting a painful electric shock? 1% chance. How much are you willing to pay to avoid it? So the volunteers, on average, they're willing to pay about $7 to avoid a 1% <laughs> chance of getting a dyslexia shock. Then, then the researchers gather another group of volunteers and say, okay, here's the scenario. How much are you willing to pay to avoid a 99% chance of getting a painful electric shock? By logical reasoning, Chad, you think 1% chance of $7, 99% chance, that should be in the range of $600 to $700. But what the researchers found was those volunteers were willing to pay about $10 to avoid a 99% chance of getting a painful electric shock. So to, to our unconscious brains, a small risk and a big risk, there's not really much that's difference. So when buyers making decisions, this is where the decision anxiety comes in. When they have decision anxiety, a small risk and a big risk, they're pretty much the same. So even from the buyer in the seller's perspective, we think, oh, you're not taking any risk. This is safe. But from the buyer's perspective, it doesn't really matter. It's the, same. It's the risk is the same, whether it's 1% or 99%. So it comes down to the perception of risk, the, the perception of risk and the perception, uh, the perception of control. If I'm in control at some point, maybe I have more ability to... I don't know, prepare myself for the electric shock. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of flabbergasted that they're only willing to spend 10 bucks. I was thinking I'd spend a hundred. <laughs> really? Okay. Okay. But you're, you're very rational then, then chat, you're very rational, but, but when it comes to, this is not very rational decision, but because when it comes to the, the brain, a small risk, it triggers this fear response. And then fear really makes people very irrational, irrational. And the thing is, Chad, one thing when the salespeople can do to give customers a sense of control is to give them a choice. When we have more choices, we feel like we're having control. So here's a really interesting study about choice. In this study, the researchers want to see if having more choices would impact shoppers buying a DVD player. You probably could guess this, this study was done probably about 15 years ago because people were still buying BDVD. <laughs> and so with the, in the first condition, shoppers had one DVD player as their only option. But in this condition, potential shoppers, only 10% of potential, potential shoppers made a purchase. Then the second, in the second condition, shoppers could, could choose from two DVD players. In this condition, 65% of potential shoppers made a purchase. So when you increase the number of choices, people can, feel, can decide which choice is best for me. So when they have more control, they buy more. And think about from a different perspective, Chad, when you just have one option, inside the people, buyer's brains, they're deciding, should I buy this or should, not, should I not buy this? 
But when you introduce two choices, you switch their decision from buying versus not buying to which one you should buy, why should buy. So that subtle choice, that subtle switch, actually take that not buying decision off the table subtly. So you give them decision, you shift their decision making from buying versus not buying to which one I should buy. It's a big shift, and then that's why it increases sales by that much. That's a pre- that's a pretty impressive study. I, I look forward to reading that one. So, all right, so let's go like another step down, and let's talk about the concept of free will in sales. And I guess the first question we should ask is, do we actually have free will? <laughs> Which is kind of a um, big question. It, it is a big question. This question has been de- debated by so many people for so long. And I don't really know the history of this debate, but I don't think that really matters. But just over the last 20 to 30 years, neuroscientists start jumping into this decision, no, jumping into this debate. And the general consensus is that we don't have a lot of free will. We're under a lot of influences that we don't realize. Here I'll give you an example, Chad. This was a study done a few decades ago. So, you, Chad, you, you walk into a grocery store, you say you want to buy ground beef. Most stores, at least probably all the stores on the on the label, they say ground beef, this is 80% fat-free. You have no problem buying it. But chat, think about this. If that package says, instead of saying 80% fat-free, it says 20% fat, would you buy it? <laughs> probably not. <laughs> probably not. This is actually exactly the result of a study published about a few decades ago. They did a study at a grocery store. They found out if... 80% fat-free, people bought it, and 20% fat, nobody bought it. But 80% fat-free and 20% fat, they're identical. But why people make dramatic different, different decisions when it's the same thing? It's simply because a subtle influence outside our awareness can make a big influence. A subtle change in how the package is framed can make a big influence on our decisions. So the question is, are we in control our decisions. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And here's another example. At the beginning of the pandemic, toilet paper hoarding was, you know, was a big thing. <laughs> yeah. So think about it, you know, let's say, you know, Chad, you bought toilet paper, but you bought toilet paper, was that your decision? Was that somebody else's decision? Were that your neighbor's decision? Were people you don't even know it's their decision? You simply follow their decision. So if that's if you're if that was not decided by you, then who are who are making the decisions? So sometimes we think we have total decision, we have total control of our decisions, but very often we don't. And I ask this question, this is very relevant, because I always ask people this question. When you go to Amazon to buy something, last time think about last time you bought something at Amazon. Did you make that decision yourself, or did Amazon make that decision for you before you even went to Amazon? If you can get a clear answer to that question, you can kind of get a clear answer whether we have free will or not. Most likely, I think, for me, I think that decision pretty much is made by Amazon. Amazon has made all the buying decisions for its customers before we have gone to Amazon. So this kind of about this why this concept of free will is really re- relevant to selling, and the idea is, is really as salespeople, you need to help people make buying decisions. 
Well, and that's, I think that's a very, it's subtle, but it's extremely important because most people will walk out and say, Hey, look at how cool this product or solution or service we have is You definitely need one of these much like the governmental example you were giving earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, Hey, some data, some case studies, some references rather than really engaging in a true conversation to understand what someone truly finds valuable, what problems are trying to solve, and how do you get them to go across the finish line to make the decision to work or purchase what you're providing rather than telling them they need it right up front. And it's a subtle skill shift, but I think it's becoming ever more critically important, uh, especially as we get into you know the type of labor markets we're in right now and the type of growth we're seeing in some sectors. I'm curious, have you worked with companies or, or talked to companies or seen companies where they've taken this subtle shift in instead of selling something to really managing a buyer's journey if they kind of internalized it at all or have you seen somebody that's been really successful with it i have spoken to several companies um in this regard i haven't got any feedback yet it's kind of this i did the research not too long ago so i kind of developed this line of thinking try you know for sales people's perspective the main job is to help buyers make buying decisions like amazon has done and really help buyers to reduce their decision anxiety like Amazon has done. So I haven't really, you know, I don't really have any solid data to to support that this works. But from the brain's perspective, we really need to pay attention to how people make buying decisions. Like I developed this whole speaking series titled Why the Brain Buys. This is really kind of targeting how we make buying decisions, how buyers make buying decisions. If, if we just teach people how to sell, without understanding why the brain buys, why people buy, we're kind of missing half the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I love it. I could talk about this for hours, but I want to be respectful of everybody's time. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of each interview. The first is simply, you know, as an expert, as a person who's out there talking, you become a prospect for people that are trying to sell things. Yeah. And I'm always curious to understand when somebody doesn't have a trusted referral into you, how do they capture your attention and earn the right to time on your calendar? What works the best for you? It's kind of a difficult thing. I think I'll give a couple, two examples. One time a coach, I think it's a business coach, just immediately reached out to me and said, Terry, I can teach you how to set goals. But I kind of thought, well, I had a chuckle. I thought, boy, I run 12 marathons. I know how to set goals. So, <laughs> no thanks. But I wouldn't go out there and tell Michael Jordan I can train him how to, I can teach him how to play basketball either. But then one time this guy, he reached out to me out of nowhere. But he said, I watched your TED Talk. It was really insightful, but I here want to coach you how to grow your business. He caught my attention for about two seconds because he mentioned he watched my TED Talk. Right. But he didn't really elaborate as to why, why, you know, why that relates to his business coaching. Why, you know, if he, if he kind of dug in a little more because he got my web, he got my email address, so he knows my website. He could have said, you know, Terry, you, you create a kind of a new category because you do neuromarketing, which not a lot of people are in this business. If you're in, you're into this new category, there's some challenges I can help you navigate those challenges that would have been more kind of a persuasive more convincing for me to pay more attention to it but he just immediately kind of is moving to this trans- transactional mode trying to make a sale that kind of turned me off but he did catch my attention for two seconds because he did tell me <laughs> he watched my tech talk 
But so he showed you that he had done some level of research, although not enough, obviously. Not enough. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but it's that concept of, you know, connecting to what's valuable to the person that you're reaching out to rather than trying to push what you find valuable. And that's right, a, right. it's amazing the number of horrible outreaches we see on a regular, regular basis. That could be the topic of a whole nother podcast. Yes. So, so last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there was one thing you could tell sales, marketing, or professional services people, one piece of advice you give them that you believe will help them hit their targets, what would it be and why? I think, Chad, we're in the age of an explosion of a scientific knowledge these days. I think for salespeople, it's no longer enough to follow, to learn from only personal stories or anecdotes. It's important to pay attention to decision science how people make decisions, why they make decisions. Once you understand why people make buying decisions, you're at a much better point or spot to make a sale. i give you an example. I heard this kind of a narrative or story so many times. The typical storyline is the sales trainer tells the story. Okay, say this guy's name is John, John Doe. John Doe says, my wife and I went to a bank and we sat down with a banker, but the banker just was so rude, not pay attention to us, blah, blah, blah. One thing, you know, from a scientist, as a, as a trained scientist, I immediately can tell that story is not verifiable. I don't know whether he made that up or that was real. <laughs> <laughs> or it's verifiable, but it could be he has some different perceptions as to what really happened. But the other thing is, you know, one alternative explanation that that guy was in a pissy mood on that day and then nobody could sell him anything. <laughs> so it really, when you look at a personal stories or anecdotes, it's very difficult to extract, you know, extract real insights. But if you rely on science, science makes selling, makes selling more predictable and reliable. That's my, re that's my recommendation. I love it. I absolutely love it. All right, Terry, I can't thank you enough for being on the show today. If there's, uh, if there's listeners that are interested in learning more, uh, or talking with you about neuromarketing, obviously the Ted talk, everybody should be checking that out. Is there some other place you'd like us to send them or some way you'd like them to get in touch with you? Uh, Chad, thank you for bringing that up. I am along, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm also on different websites, my company's websites, neuromarketingservices.com. And also I have a website called whythebrainbias.com. So I can be reached at both places. Excellent. Again, I can't thank you for taking time to be here today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, Chad. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. You know the drill, b2brevexec.com. Share it with friends, family, coworkers. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes. Until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.